Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. If you've got it, say amen. All right. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, or that's uh, unrestrained or wild uh, sexual desires. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Paul is not attempting to create an exhaustive list of every sin known to humankind. He closes it simply by saying, and other sins like these. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit denotes a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. In another place, the Bible says, Can two walk together except they be in agreement? To walk in the Spirit is to walk hand in hand, day in and day out, by the leading of Jesus Christ in your life. And verse 26 is where we're going to focus today. It says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. With your attention for the next few moments, I want to preach the antidote to envy. The antidote to envy. Would you set your Bible aside and one more time, would you close your eyes and lift your hands towards heaven and ask God to do a work in this place. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy and your love. I pray in the name of Jesus that your will would be accomplished in this house. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done, Lord. I surrender my lips. I surrender my voice to you today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and Slap your neighbor a high five and tell them they did not coordinate titles. Amen. From the moment that the serpent tempted Eve in the garden, uttering the words, For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. From that moment on, mankind has struggled with envy. Cain envied Abel's successful sacrifice. He was envious of the fire that fell from heaven and consumed his brother's offering to the Lord. Sarah envied Hagar's fertility and newfound status as favorite wife. Jacob envied Esau's firstborn status. He emerged grasping onto the heel of his older brother. He desired it for himself. He did not want his brother to be the firstborn. Rachel envied Leah's sons. Reuben 
and the rest envied Joseph's status. They envied that status symbol that their father gave him of a coat of many colors placed upon him, signifying that he was the chosen son, though he was not the eldest. Potiphar's wife envied Joseph's purity and his blessing from the Lord. And on and on and on it goes throughout all the time of human history. Envy has wormed its way into the heart and into the mind of every man, woman, and child that's ever walked this earth. Uh, we've reached the place in our world today uh, where as a society we spend a tremendous amount of effort and time trying to portray our lives uh, as the pinnacle of success and happiness. We paint an image to the world uh, to present to the world a, a front, uh, a happy face, a face of success. We post things on social media. We portray in the workplace that everything in my world is okay. You should only know how good my life is. My kids are perfect. My marriage is fantastic. Uh, but inside we know it is not true. We paint an image that we present to the world because we want people to envy us. There's a spirit behind it and our society is totally bound. Satan was unwilling to be the anointed cherub that covered the glory of God. He envied the worship that God was receiving and he desired to be like God. The wisest man who would ever live penned these words in Proverbs 27 and verse 4 when he said, Wrath uh, is cruel and anger is outrageous. We're familiar with uh, facing the wrath of an angry man and we're familiar with its cruelty. We're familiar with the way that rage can begin to affect relationship. But then he says, Who is able to stand before envy? He would write in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. We understand envy quite well in the realm of possessions. The Lord would command his people in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. You know this as the tenth of the ten commandments. He reads in Exodus 20 and 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor. That doesn't sound a whole lot like the culture we've built for ourselves. Envy imprisons you within. You will be crippled with your own desires. Envy bemoans the success of others, never realizing that the elements for the same success also reside within them. It's foolish for me to envy my brother and not be willing to do the work that my brother did to get there. As if the object of my envy and the object of my coveting has not had to overcome adversity to reach the place that they have reached. 
Don't envy the doctor. You spend your sleepless nights studying for the MCAT and you spend your $200,000 to go to med school and then then maybe then you can know the price that was paid to reach the place that they've reached. Don't envy the lawyer unless you're willing to donate and give hours upon hours and days upon days, weeks upon weeks of your life studying to pass a bar exam. Envy seeks to rob somebody of something that they have earned, an accomplishment that they have toiled for, they have labored in, but envy wants to snatch it without the effort. Envy is not a respecter of persons. The poor can envy the rich, and that seems rather obvious. The poor can look at the rich and think, well, I, I wish I had that Lamborghini instead of them. Anybody ever thought that? Until you see the insurance payment on a Lamborghini. My Lord. If you, if you envy somebody's house, go ahead and pull up Realtor.com sometime. And I, I was looking at a house because I like to do that every once in a while. I like to go and I like to look at houses, not to, to, to lust after them and to covet after them, but to remind me how awesome it is to have a mortgage that I can afford. I'm thankful for a home that God has blessed me with that I can afford. You want that 6,000 square foot, $2 million house? Have fun with that $8,000 a month mortgage payment. See, the poor can envy the rich, and we, we understand that. We, we, we can spot that fairly easily, and we can almost excuse that. But the poor can also envy the poor. It's in our heart because envy always has been and always will be a heart issue. It actually has nothing to do with what my brother has or does not have. It has everything to do with the condition of my heart. A poor man can envy the one slice of bread that another poor man has when he doesn't have any bread. A poor beggar can envy the poor beggar on the other side of the street who seems to be getting a little bit more alms tossed in his cap. You see, it's no respecter of persons. The rich can even envy the poor. You're not excused from this sin just because you are one of the haves or one of the people that seems to have attained. David was king of all Israel. The Lord had blessed him with many wives and yet the Bible tells us that the day came. He was up on the roof of his palace. I can only imagine what the mortgage was on a palace. But there he was on the roof and his eyes happened to cross a poor man's wife uh, and instead of realizing God has blessed me uh, a rich man uh, was envious of the wife of a poor man uh, you see envy uh, is not a respecter of persons but it is uh, a condition of the heart and covetousness and envy have to be eradicated out of our lives scripturally it appears to be more of a case of position than possession. 
You see, it's, it's, it's possible for us to envy outside of the body. That would not be wise, and it is wrong for us to envy somebody's possessions, goods, and homes. Uh, but I did not come today simply to talk about uh, who's got the nicest car in the parking lot, or who's got the best home, uh, or who's got the worst home. Uh, none of that stuff even matters at the end of it all. Uh, it's all a vapor uh, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. It's all going to be consumed. Uh, it doesn't matter how much or how hard you worked for that car uh, or for that house or for that 401k. Uh, when you die, you can't take any of it with you. Uh, when you pass off of this earth, none of it is going with you. Uh, and so we've got to remember it's not about money. But envy can worm its way even into the body of Christ. It's possible for us to envy spiritually outside of the body. In Proverbs 23 and verse 17, Solomon writes and says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Every once in a while, Every once in a while when your focus comes off of Jesus Christ and your focus is attached to this world and you can see the seeming success of people that you know aren't living right and aren't doing right and aren't walking in righteousness and you can see that their bank account seemingly is more full than yours or you're driving a beat up old beater uh, and they're driving a nice car uh, and it seems like everything wrong that they're doing is not being noticed and not being seen seen by the eyes of God, uh, but God shouts out from the pages of history uh, to us today, uh, do not let your heart ever begin to envy the sinner, uh, because there is nothing uh, in this world uh, that the born-again believer should be envious about. Uh, there is nothing in this world uh, or no possession of this world uh, that somebody that's been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, and the, the, the washed their sins away in the waters of baptism. You have nothing to envy. You possess inside of you the greatest blessing that has ever been given. I don't need the fanciest house. I've got true riches inside. I don't need to have the nicest car. I've got a home that's promised on the other side. I don't need to have worldly fame and recognition because the God of the universe knows my name. It may never be in lights. Uh, it may never be on Hollywood. Uh, I might never have more than four friends uh, in this whole world. Uh, I might never even be known uh, outside of this little circle uh, of believers in this church. Uh, but at the end of it all, uh, I'm going to bed tonight uh, and I've got access to the King uh, of Kings uh, and the Lord uh, of Lords. Uh, after this is all said and done, uh, I'm going to walk through a gate of pearl uh, down a street of gold uh, and God uh, is going to look on me uh, and he's going to say well done uh, thou good and faithful servant uh, the God of the universe knows my name uh, the God of the universe knows who I am uh, nothing else compares uh, to God uh, knowing me uh, why don't we lift our hands together in this place and give him some praise hallelujah 
I'm thankful uh, that even if I'm broke, uh, I'm rich towards God. Uh, I'm thankful that even if uh, I got to get a ride to church because my car broke down again, uh, when I walk into the house of God, uh, it does not matter why. Uh, I've been adopted as a son of God. Uh, my status isn't dependent uh, on my possession. Uh, my position with God uh, has nothing to do with my 401k or my bank account. Uh, my position with God uh, has everything to do with him laying down his life for me. Don't let your heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. We know that Lazarus, laying at the gate of the unnamed rich man, did not allow envy to come into his heart. Imagine that. He knows that on the other side of the gate, somebody's feasting on all the food they could ever want where he lays and the dogs are licking his sores. But envy never enters his heart. How do we know that? Because when he dies, uh, he finds himself in the bosom of Abraham uh, with an eternal blessing upon his life. Everything uh, that he missed out on in this world being provided to him in eternity. I've tasted the bitter cup of envy. I know what it's like to have your heart race. Those sleepless nights. The voice in your mind that would tell me that I deserve such and such. It's not fair that somebody else has it. I know what it's like to wish that there would be a recognition. I know what it's like to wish that there would be a noticing. I know what it's like to wish that uh, somebody else's financial blessing uh, would have been given to me. Instead, I know what it's like uh, to drive a vehicle that you got to pray that it starts. I know uh, what it's like. Uh, but I bring us back to Galatians chapter 5 uh, where Paul would write to the church and say, They uh, that are Christ have crucified the flesh uh, with its affections and their lusts. Uh, why go through all of the effort? Uh, why drag this flesh down? Uh, why crucify it? Uh, why bring about the death of covetousness inside of you? Why? Uh, all because uh, I want to be uh, his. Uh, Jesus is enough. Uh, Jesus is uh, enough. Uh, take your eyes off of the hope uh, of this world. Uh, take your eyes off uh, of the hot lotto. Uh, take your eyes off of the South Dakota millions or whatever it's called. Uh, that would be the worst thing that could ever happen to you uh, to actually have uh, a billion dollar Powerball ticket. Uh, that would not be a blessing from God. Uh, that would be a curse from hell. Uh, happiness is not going to be found uh, in the extent of possessions uh, or of fame, but true joy is available when you drag this flesh to the cross and say, Jesus, you're my reward. You're what I'm after. You're what I'm hungry for. You, God, are what I have need of. In Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron begin to speak against Moses. And ostensibly, it's about his Ethiopian wife. But the issue isn't usually the issue. Envy will find something to nitpick and complain about without addressing its root. 
In number chapter 12 and verse 2, they say, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And it comes out, had nothing to do with his wife. And the Lord heard it. I don't know about you, but that phrase gives me pause every once in a while. Because there's nowhere I can go on this earth where the ear of the Lord cannot hear what comes out of my mouth. There's no place that's safe for me to begin to utter uh, things against the man of God that he has established over the children of Israel. And the Lord heard it. And the Lord says to him, why don't you three come here? Come before me to the tabernacle. And I'm not entirely sure what Aaron and Miriam thought was going to happen in the moment. But as the three of them, three siblings, imagine that. Moses is the youngest. And the two older siblings are envious of their youngest brother's position with God. And God begins to rebuke them and says, look, I, there's nobody like Moses. I speak to him face to face. And he challenges them and he says, wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And watch this in Numbers 12 and verse 9. The anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle and behold, Miriam was leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam and she was leprous. The cloud lifts off the tabernacle. The cloud was the glory of God. It was the cloud that led them by day. It was the fire that led them by night. When the cloud moved, they moved. But now the cloud has lifted off of the tabernacle and it's not going anywhere. Miriam is smitten with leprosy. Why is she smitten with leprosy on the outside? Because God was allowing the condition of a heart to be demonstrated on the outside of a body. It was and always has been a heart issue and God was letting it be seen. This is the condition of your heart. Let it be seen in your flesh. See, they wanted the position but not the process that Moses had been through. Neither of them had lived 40 years in the backside of the desert, forgotten by everybody but God. Uh, neither of them had gone on two back-to-back 40-day -back fasts, uh, interceding with God uh, to forgive a rebellious people. Uh, neither of them uh, had sacrificed like Moses had sacrificed uh, to reach this place with God. Uh, but envy doesn't care about the price that was paid uh, for the position that God has granted envy only wants it for themselves and envy cannot be allowed a place in the body of Christ because when envy is present unity cannot be where envy is present the glory cannot dwell in James chapter 3 in verse 14 James write if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts Glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion 
and every evil work. Every time you read about envy in the epistles, you'll notice it's always next to strife. Because wherever envy enters into the body of Christ, strife is soon to follow. Whatever area of your life that you're envious of somebody, there's about to be strife in that area. And hear me carefully right now. Uh, it is not descended from above, but it is earthly uh, and it is devilish. But there is an antidote today for that envy. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the writer writes and says, Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm here to tell somebody today the antidote, the answer to envy that seeks to worm its way into your life is not just to try to pray more, not just to try to ignore it, but to find a place of contentment and to find a realization that God has promised, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and because of that promise of God, I can be content tent uh, in whatever I have. Uh, I do not need to have uh, the nicest. Uh, I've got Jesus. Uh, I don't need to have uh, recognition. Uh, I've got Jesus. Uh, I don't need a bigger platform uh, with my name all over social media. I've got Jesus. Uh, I don't need my name uh, on a cover of a book selling a million copies. Uh, I've got Jesus. Uh, I don't even need to be recognized uh, in the church. Uh, I don't need to be a pastor. Uh, I'd be pleased to step down if the Lord said it but I am because he's positioned me here but I'm content to have Jesus I'm content to have Jesus I'm content to be his son I'm content to be filled with his spirit I'm just content to be a part of the body of Christ Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am in therewith to be content. This is not automatic. It must be learned. It must be fought for. It must be a pursuit of your life. You're probably going to have to repent more than one time when the Spirit begins to point this out inside of you. I'm pretty confident that there were days as Paul is taking a rod across his back for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul is laboring in more intense laborings than any other apostle, I'm pretty sure that there was a day, there was a moment where Paul would be tempted to covet the comparatively easier road of another apostle. As we stand today, Each of us has a place and a role in the body. Everybody that's a part of this church has a purpose and a task in this assembly. But the hand must be content 
to be the hand. How foolish would it be for the hand to get into some sort of identity crisis and wish itself to be the appendix? The hand can't be the appendix. Neither can the appendix be the hand. The hand has to be the hand and the appendix has to be the appendix. See, it's envy. The spleen must be content to labor in obscurity. No one really knows what the spleen does. Anybody know what the spleen is for? It has a role. But see, we don't talk about the spleen. We don't lift it up. We don't glorify it. We don't splash it all over. But the moment that it's hurt and lacerated, the body is in danger. Why? Because every member is important. Every member has a purpose. Every member has a role. Why is it easier to weep with the weeper than it is to rejoice with the rejoicer? Because deep down inside, we feel they deserve to weep. And we feel we deserve to rejoice. See, if we'll learn to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in, the body will function in a unity and a greater harvest will be brought into his barn. At the end of it all, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It must always be about the kingdom of God. So I know we've arrived at a slightly different place than perhaps our usual. But I've been sent here today to challenge a church and to remind them there is no place for envy. As the music begins to play softly, at some point today, something I said maybe began to tweak something in your mind. Maybe there's been a battle about position in your mind. Maybe there's been that quiet voice saying, oh, I wish somebody would recognize me like they recognize so-and-so. That's not contentment, and that's not from God. We need to put that to the death today. 